I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week here on America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to take the theme of my weekly column and interview folks that have expertise in the topic, often people whose input helped me shape the column. This week, I'm excited that we're talking about the presidential election, the 2016 candidates and their view on energy. For me, this is a column that I've been waiting months to write. As I'm often a guest on other radio shows throughout the country, those talk show hosts ask me, what, what do you think of the candidates? What are their views on energy? And as there have been so many candidates, uh, 20 total when you combine both parties, I would say, well, you know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting until the field winnows down, and then I'll do a thorough analysis of their energy policies. Well, Following Super Tuesday, the field had surely winnowed down. And so I set out to write this column. And as I set, set out to write and started studying the p candidates' views, I discovered that if I did what I'd originally planned, which was to do like two paragraphs on Trump, two paragraphs on Cruz, two paragraphs on Rubio, and two paragraphs on Kasich, it was going to be a really boring piece because their views were almost identical. In my studying, I discovered that the views of the remaining two Democrat candidates were also almost identical to one another, but very different from the Republican candidates. At the same time, we had Mitt Romney out there talking about don't vote for Trump and the never Trump movement uh, became publicized. And we see big splits in the Democrat Party as well as people are leaving Hillary to go to Bernie and so forth. So I realized that while there's a lot of fracturing within each of the two parties, within each party, they're really unified on energy. And so that's the approach I took in this week's column. I addressed the general uh, similarities and then the, the little bit of differences that there were. Now, in we're doing my research and writing my column. I, I became acquainted with, and maybe became acquainted before, but more specifically, with our first guest. And Michael Schwartz and I met, and he's going to correct me probably, I think we met on Facebook, but I'm not really sure. But I put on Facebook that this is what I was writing on this week. And Michael responded by saying, you might be interested in this piece I wrote and posted on my blog earlier. And he had done already exactly what I was thinking of doing. So I thought, what a great way to start today's show then with, with Michael Schwartz. And, and Michael, I'm going to let you tell us how we met, and about your blog where your post uh, was and, and uh, what, what influence you have in your home state of Maryland. So anyway, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Well, thanks. Um, we met, quote-unquote, since I haven't actually met you face-to-face. -face. I started reading your pieces because they were on the Americans for Limited Government site, and every so often I would do a 
blog post called Odds and Ends. It's all these things that I would find online that I said, well, they're worth writing about, but they're only a sentence in a couple paragraphs. So sometimes yours is more to three or four paragraphs. But anyway, I started write, I started seeing your work, and this woman actually agrees with me very much so on the, uh, on the field of energy. So that's when I So therefore I must be right. I must be yeah, right if I agree right. with you. Do you agree with me? You're right. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I I became Facebook with you a few weeks ago, and, and then you said you were looking to do this piece. And I had wrote back in July the same kind of things you were looking for, but for all 17 Republican candidates at the time. Yeah, though I wasn't willing to do that much work for. <laughs> well, I was because I, cause it, for me it's a process to figure out who I supported more than anything else, so I had, I went through, and there was a whole bunch of other topics. Energy was not the only topic. It was one of the, one of about ten that I did, but as far as that goes, I went and did a lot of research, found a lot of, found a lot of resources on these candidates that where they stood on these various issues, and the focus for me on energy was more in, are they willing to support an industry that is regarded as very successful in terms of uh, in terms of job creation and helping the economy, which is the oil and natural gas industry. And on the other end of the spectrum, what are they going to do with the subsidies for ethanol and wind power and so on and so forth? Because I don't think I would like to see a more level playing field. In the end, some people argue, well, the oil companies don't have a level playing field, but then in their proven success. And one thing that I have noticed over the years, this is actually common sense, is that wind power doesn't work if the wind doesn't blow, and solar power doesn't work at night. <laughs> yeah, shocking, isn't it? Yeah, so that's a terrible thing. So there, there's inherent weaknesses in putting too many of your eggs in those baskets. So anyway, I did all this research and ended up finding a lot of good stuff. I mean, all all four that are remaining tend to be pretty good on the issue, although I know you pointed out very well in, in, your, in your piece that they, they, are, they're, they are almost interchangeable, not quite, but very much so. They're definitely different than the Democrats. Yeah, that's for sure. That's where the big difference is. But as far as... Where I went with it, I actually, I actually was a Bobby Jindal supporter for a while. Now I'm now I'm more of a Ted Cruz supporter, but it was a very that whole exercise that I did last summer was very helpful in my in my uh, in my decide, decision. It looks it sounds like it was helpful in you in doing your piece. It was as well. Yeah, your piece, yours was very good, and you had done a lot of research. And uh, but as you pointed out, your research was on the field of the of the seventeen, and and I only had to work on four, so I was able to do a little more on each of them. And and I and I included uh, the Democrats as well. And you had and you had the benefit of even more information as the as the campaign wore on. Right, because, because when you did your piece back in July, most of them didn't have policy positions on their website. No, I, 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 actually, I had to go digging in what they said at various other venues because they were not some some had a little bit more than others. But I, I found a lot of like for example, John Kasich in Ohio. He had done. I, he, I think at the time he had proposed the tax an extra tax on fracking 
that that was part of the that was part of the it had just come out of time. So that Michael, was, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Can you move your phone up a little closer to your mouth? Sorry about that. That's okay. That's that okay. Yes, it is. Thank you. I, so I, you I were you were you were saying that Kasich had proposed a tax on fracking. I think he had proposed a supplemental tax or increasing the tax on it, and I don't remember now if that had gone anywhere because Ohio is a is a Republican-dominated state as far as politically, but I actually am from Ohio originally. Ah. I moved down here in 2004 to Maryland, but I'm from Ohio originally, and I was actually involved in the Ohio Republican Party. So Ohio as a state is, it's Republican, but it's a very moderate kind of centrist form of Republicanism. I don't I don't know if Ted Cruz or somebody like that would do real well in Ohio, but I'm sure if he is the choice, he will do well. He'll do he'll do well enough to, as far as being a Republican. But in terms of Kasich, he came in as a uh, as the alternative. They had a Democrat governor for four years before him, and he did so poorly. It was right around the time of the Great Recession. He did so poorly that. They threw him out and put in Kasich, who came in and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna work out these budget issues and so on and so forth." But he's what he's done? That, yeah, he has done. I, I, I don't have any argument. Just looking from afar, I don't really have any too many arguments with how he's governed the state, with some exceptions, but not necessarily important to this conversation. But he is the uh, he came in as the reporter, and he's done basically the same kind of job every other Republican governor over the last 40 years has done. That's why he got reelected. So, but his energy policies, when you look at all the presidential candidates on the Republican side, he is the only one who uh, verbally uh, and financially uh, is in favor of renewables. Yeah, he uh, he is one of those that I'm trying to recall and this is this is what happened to stuff in July. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, he, you know, he supports. He's not anti-fossil fuel, and that totally sets him apart from the Democrats because the Democrats are are really totally anti-fossil fuel. Yes, they are pro-renewable, but almost more they're anti-fossil fuel. Where Kasich is like, he's like okay with renewables, and he's okay for support of renewables. He's not you know, like out campaigning for funding for renewables, but he's okay with it. But he's right. definitely, his state is rich, Ohio is rich in uh, oil, natural gas, and coal. So he's definitely a fossil fuel kind of guy. Yeah, he, he should be because that's what that's the bread and butter of his state. I mean, a lot of the economic growth that's occurred in Ohio over the last six eight years is based on fracking. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's a rust belt state that just have to have plenty of uh, good shale deposits. And, you know, here in Maryland, we're actually on the other end of that. But we have gone in the direction. We had a Democrat governor until 2014. We just got a new Republican governor. But we've kind of gone into the direction. I, I, I know that a lot of people in the race talk about what's called all of the above. Right approach. They want a little of everything. They don't mind renewables, but they they do want to have they want to have 
the fossil fuels as well. Well, our governor basically had, he was, he, our former governor, Martin O'Malley, who ran for president, didn't right. make it. He was the one that was in, in really deep into the uh, wind and solar and so on and so forth. And where I live, I live on Delmarva, I live on the eastern shore of Maryland. So we are in a place that is very, very heavily invested in the idea of offshore wind. It would yeah. literally be 10-mile walk Ocean City, which is about, about 30 miles from where I'm sitting. It's right, obviously, right on the ocean. Salisbury, where I'm sitting, is actually about 30 miles inland. But we have, supposedly, there was the idea of creating the turbines and such for the wind power out of Salisbury, which would be it, which is supposedly going to be several hundred jobs. It would be, Salisbury was portrayed as kind of the hub of that industry. And, Michael, uh, we, we, we're down to 30 seconds left. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's I, all right. It's, the topic is fascinating, and I, and I so enjoy talking about it. But uh, we're, we're basically out of time, and I haven't, you, we haven't told people about your blog yet, so um, we're just going to have to jump to that. Well, 15 seconds. Blog. No, my blog is monoblog.us, and it's a political blog. I do a little of other stuff, but energy's always been a topic. But bringing you on board, I'm going to start running your column this week, and I look forward to having it. Well, we're out of time, and it's it's amazing how time flies when you ha- when you have a mutually uh, interesting conversation. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed it. Michael Schwartz, thank you for joining us from Monoblog, and uh, please uh, stay tuned for our next interesting segment. Thanks for listening to America's Voice for Energy. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. You know, I have several people that I call on regularly because they have such a wealth of knowledge in the energy field. And one of those is Jeff Homestead, who was just with us last week. But I discovered that he has some new knowledge, some new experience that I didn't know about. This week, you know, I wrote my column on the energy policies of the current six candidates, Senator Bernie Sanders, Secretary Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Marco Rubio, and Governor John Kasich. And as I was looking at the energy policies, you know, you realize that somewhere somebody comes up with this stuff. Back in May, you may recall, I wrote a piece that was titled An Open Letter to Dr. Ben Carson because at the time he had come out with a statement about ethanol that was, totally wrong and totally out of touch with uh, the Republican view. And someone that I know, uh, Paul Dreesen, who will be with us next, said, 
I know his energy guy. Would you like me to get this to him? And and he did. And, and interestingly, Ben Carson changed his position on ethanol. I like to think I had something to do with that. But I discovered that Jeff Homestead, who is a partner at Bracewell and a former official in both the George H.W. Bush White House and the George W. Bush administration, I found out that Jeff Homestead was involved in putting together Romney's energy plan. And so I'm excited to have you back with us again, Jeff, on America's Voice for Energy. And I hope you'll tell us kind of what goes on behind the scenes with these candidates who don't necessarily know anything about energy but have to come up with an energy plan. Well, I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to shed at least a little light on the, on how that process works. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me, and I'm sure they do the same thing with every other policy issue, but um, it's certainly uh, my focus, of course, is energy. Well, would you like me just to start by gi- by giving you a little background on, on kind of how that process normally works? Yeah, I would. Sorry, I obviously didn't set you up correctly for that. But, yeah, please, tell, tell us how it works. Well, I, I'm obviously uh, much more familiar with the, with the process when it comes to Republican candidates, having been involved with, with a couple and probably most extensively with, uh, with Governor Romney when he was still in the primaries and then in, in, the, in the general. And I think what, um, what your listeners probably already know, but I'll just remind them, is that there is both a political component and a policy component. And, and I think in some campaigns, uh, they tend more towards the political side, and in other campaigns, they tend more towards the policy. Um, in, in, the, in the Romney campaign, um, there were probably uh, two or three key people, um, including a couple who were, who were full-time on the campaign, who... Uh, who, who really were in, who were in charge of putting together pretty detailed policy papers, and they talked to a lot of people—people people who um, uh, were in the environmental community, people who were in prior Republican administrations, people on the industry side who were considered experts—and um, people would actually submit um, kind of white papers on on different issues that would then be vetted with uh, with the senior people on the campaign and with the with the candidate and uh, there, there was a pretty rigorous policy process that went into that and obviously over time there were some people who who came to play a bigger role a bigger role than others but uh, but but there was the kind of policy discussion that, that you that you would hope to have um, and, and I find that and I, I found it then and I did find it now pretty encouraging to know that people really did care about the issues, um, but but of course also understanding the the, the political um, environment that you are in. Um, one of the things that I I think leads to such a stark contrast between Republicans and Democrats on energy issues is that over the last few election cycles. Um, the kind of professional environmental activist community ha- has become an increasingly important constituency in the Democratic Party. And so I will say this, I, I think that um, 
that, that Hillary Clinton is inclined to be uh, a little more centrist, maybe, than Barack Obama. Yeah. But, but, but I don't think she really... Um, I think she's pretty locked into uh, the the agenda that Obama has started and the environmental activist community wants because, you know, that that community is very involved in um, in raising money, in getting out the vote, in organizing, and so that community is probably has more influence with the candidates than you would otherwise expect expect just because of their you know passion for these issues and so yeah and don't you think that don't don't you think that people like tom steyer uh play a big role in that you know you mentioned you don't know how things are done on the democrat side because your experience is of course with the republican side but when you re- when you look at these policies, as I did in my column this week, the Democrats' policies can be summed up as anti-fossil fuel. Now, some people might say, oh, no, they're pro-renewable. Well, yes, they are pro-renewable, but they're not just pro-renewable. They are, both of them are flat-out anti-fossil fuel. They don't want, they don't like any of it. And, you know, Tom Steyer has spent millions of dollars on past campaigns to get candidates in that support the alarmist uh, climate change viewpoint uh, with little success, frankly, in the midterm elections. But he's very active uh, in this campaign as well. And, in fact, one of my favorite stories I tell that most people are not aware of, you probably are, Jeff, but, you know, we have a little bit different experiences, and that is that back when President Obama was running for his second term against Mitt Romney, and um, the Sierra Club went to him and threatened him, and I could find it, you know, find the text on this, they threatened him and said, if you approve the Keystone Pipeline, we will not knock on doors for you, we will not raise money for you, we will not support you. And they flat out threatened him with pulling their support. Now, I have not seen anything in print um, with saying the same sort of thing with Hillary or Bernie, but I'm sure it's there. Yeah, no, and, and, and even if it's not explicit, it, it's certainly implicit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the candidates know that, um, you know, they, they depend on, 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 on contributions, but they also depend on kind of the organizational ability that these, that these, that these communities have to get out and to knock on doors and to try to get out the, the votes where they think those votes will be most helpful to the candidate. But, but but in my view, the more pernicious things come when it's time to um, make appointments. And and again, I'm I'm a Republican partisan, and, and people I, I assume understand that. But you know, when I <laughs> yeah. look back at yeah, when, when you've when been in both back, Bush Bush administrations, I think we're going to assume that and worked I, I on Romney's energy plan. <laughs> but you know, I I go back to the the Clinton administration. Um, the, the Bill Clinton administration. Uh, hopefully, there won't be a second Clinton, um, and and that was much more of a kind of a, a typical, um, what what I would call sort of a responsible government approach, where the people who worked on energy policy, the people who were appointees at DOE at the National Economic Council, were people who had a lot of experience with energy issues, who knew how the systems worked, who kind of knew the issues that were important. 
And, and that was not the case in the Obama administration. If you look at every single kind of important energy post, uh, it was filled by someone from the environmental community, or at least someone who had the strong support of the environmental community. So instead of having people at, at DOE who understand the way um, you know the lights are kept on in this country, or the way that we keep uh, our houses heated and, 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 and we fuel our cars, you had people who were passionate about environmental issues, about reducing CO2, and that's the way they viewed everything. And so the, the Obama administration is really fundamentally different from any administration we've had before, Republican or Democrat. And my concern is um, that 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 whoever the next president is, if, if, if he or she is a Democrat, that those slots that you would hope would go to people who have a lot of experience with energy issues will instead be given to people who come straight out of the environmental community and who have a very anti-fossil fuel agenda. And I think that's maybe the most troubling thing about the way this whole uh, process works. Yeah, there's definitely a revolving door between the environmental community and the Obama administration. You remember Al Armendariz, and, um, who's the one who was Region 5 EPA director, if I recall correctly. He's the one who said, what we do is we come into a town and we just kill the first few people we find and then everybody else behaves well. Do you recall that story? I do, Al Armendariz. It was actually EPA Region 6. And one of the most astonishing okay. things was he had been an expert witness in a case opposing a permit for a, for a, uh, it was a pet coke plant in Corpus Christi, and he, so he was actively opposing that plant. When he went to EPA, he became the person who had to decide whether that plant would get a permit. Can we say conflict of interest? Well, if he had been a lawyer, it would have been a clear violation of the of the of a, it would have been a conflict of interest. But when we asked the agency about it, they said, "Well, because Dr. Armandaris is not a lawyer, there's no conflict of interest here, and he can rule on the permit." And guess what? They didn't get the yeah. permit. Yeah. Well, of course, you know where he went, where 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 he went when he got fired from the EPA, because of course it brought you know had, was such a public story. He had to resign. Oh yes, no, no. I'm quite, I'm quite aware. He's uh, he's very active in the anti-coal. I think he's now not only in the Beyond Coal campaign, but I think he's in the Beyond Natural Gas campaign as well. Yeah, they're all, they're they're all one and the same. We've only got about a minute and a half left here, and, and the time has just flown by. I love talking to you. And um, what anything you want to make sure we that we haven't addressed about the the policy business behind the scenes of a campaign. You know, I, I, I will say this: it, even among Republicans, it, it, I think it varies um, to some extent based on the candidates and their level of interest in the issues. Um, it, you know, I think every candidate, Republican or Democrat, is eventually forced to have something of an energy policy. But some of them are very bare bones. Others are much more detailed, but based to a large extent on how much importance the, the candidate places on those issues. So, you know, if you do look at the websites of the Republican candidates, you'll see that, that, that by and large they take pretty sensible positions and pretty consistent positions on energy issues. But, but some of them do spend more time, and I think it's because uh, they personally have more interest and maybe more experience, but they also have people on the campaigns who are more involved. So. There is an important process that goes on during the campaign, and maybe even more important, 
or, or at least as important, is what happens during the transition. Because, you know, if there is a Republican administration, and I hope there will be, there will be yeah. many, many transition issues when the new administration takes over, and you need to have a team in place that really is ready to hit the ground running. And, and certainly the Romney campaign had that, and, I, uh, and, and my hope is that any of the Republicans who actually get the nomination would, uh, would have a similar process in place. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Jeff Homestead, partner at Bracewell, former official in both the George H.W. Bush White House and the George W. Bush administration. Thanks for joining us once again. It's always a treat to talk energy with you. And we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. Great. Thanks for having me. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and in this segment, we're going to continue our conversation of the politics of energy, specifically in this 2016 presidential election year, and the different views that the political candidates have and how that might impact policy uh, in, the, in the years going forward. So I'm w- glad to have with me for this segment my friend Paul Dreesen back with us once again. And for those of you who don't know Paul, he is a senior policy analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, which we call CFACT. And by the way, CFACT publishes my work and Paul's work, as each of us regularly write on energy issues. He's also the author of Echo Imperialism, Green Power, Black Death. Paul, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm glad to have you with us today. It's always great being with you, Marita. Well, you know, you and I have such a good time, as I have with all the guests so far on the show today. We have such a good time chatting about energy because we share such an enthusiasm and passion for it that that I often run out of time with each segment. But you you followed, as I have, the different candidates' views on energy and how what the differences are between the parties. And not that, you know, I personally don't necessarily try to be partisan, but on energy, there's really not a choice but to be partisan because the contrasts are so stark. 
They are indeed. I mean, you listen to what Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are saying, and it is just diametrically opposed to almost anything that any Democrat, any Republican has got to say on energy, uh, particularly when it comes to fossil fuels, oil, natural gas, and coal, which Hillary and Bernie want to basically shut down in America. Hillary has said she will close down all such resource extraction on all public lands, and she's also going to try to regulate fracking out of existence. Bernie says the same thing, except he will just ban fracking. Yes, and Hillary wants to uh, put such regulations on it that it will drive it out. I don't know if you saw the, saw them discussing fracking on the C, at the CNN debate, which is really one of the first times uh, that energy's even been brought into the, into the discussion. Yes, I did see that, and I think it should be very eye-opening and very disturbing for any American who rationally understands the energy system that we have and the fact that 82% of our, all of our energy in the United States is from oil, natural gas, and coal. Uh, only about 3% comes from wind and solar. So bridging that gap the way Hillary wants to do, where she's going to raise that 3% to 50% in the next 15 years, to me is just an impossible task, and the the economic and employment implications would be horrendous for people. You cannot simply take that energy that we use and rely on today to have the living standards we do have, take it away, replace it with unreliable, heavily subsidized renewable, kill millions more jobs, and still survive as a country, as a, a, a workforce. Uh, Essentially, she wants to put millions more people on welfare, dramatically reduce their living standards, and pay for all of that. I don't know how, because by taking away the fossil fuels, you're taking away the, all the revenue streams that she would have to count on or Bernie would have to count on in order to pay for all the expanded welfare and retraining programs and all the other grandiose ideas she has in mind. Yeah, both of them, um, there definitely is kind of a funding gap there. But I want to go back to a, a comment you made at the very beginning of your last comments where you said for all Americans who reasonably understand, um, was what you said, reasonably understand energy and its role in, in our economy or something like that. And that's the problem, reasonably understand uh, because the average person has no clue that about 96% of the oil wells and the oil and natural gas wells in this country are drilled using hydraulic fracturing. So when they talk about banning fracking, they're essentially talking about ending America's new era of energy abundance. Yes, and when they talk about banning all resource extraction from public lands, they're talking about getting rid of the remaining oil and natural gas uh, production, which means we're going to go back to 60, 70, 80 percent oil imports and natural gas imports, which just makes absolutely no sense to me. But here's two <laughs> kind of funny but stark examples of the kinds of uh, wisdom we get from what happens to be the Democratic side. I was in a conference with a, a bunch of energy people, and one of them turned to this congresswoman who's a Democrat from western states, no less, and they said, well, where do you get your electricity, meaning, I said, from coal or nuclear or whatever, and she said, well, I just put a plug in the wall, 
you know, I just plugged right into the wall socket. That was as much as she understood about it. That, that's scary coming from a congresswoman. I mean, I tell a very similar story in my book, Energy Freedom, that I heard Governor Matt Mead of Wyoming when he was campaigning, he told tells a story that he was knocking on doors, you know, as he campaigned. And someone said to him, we need to get off of this dirty coal. And so candidate Meade said, then candidate Meade said to him, well, where do you suppose we get our, le- our electricity? And he said, well, from, from the wall, of course. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, we had Nancy Pelosi a couple of years ago who said, right. it's a good thing we have natural gas because otherwise we'd be really dependent on fossil fuels. Yeah, so clueless. I mean, and so when you say reason, the if we if we have a public who, or voting public who reasonably understands, these are the kind of ignorance uh, that we're facing. And obviously, that's why you do what you do and what I do what I do in uh, in hopes of engaging the public in these issues and have, helping them to understand. And, and certainly in this election season here, the contrast could not be more stark. Oh, that's absolutely true. And what's crazy about all of this is so many people in the blue states and Washington, D.C., dismiss all the folks in the middle of the country, you know, anywhere 50 miles from either coast inland. They dismiss that as flyover country, populated by ignorant people who just don't understand anything. But those people in those areas are smart and they are educated and they know under they really understand energy and where it comes from and where their food comes from where their clothing comes from it's the folks in the capital to use the term from the hunger games who don't understand this stuff very well and yet feel that they have been put on planet earth to be the ruling elites and kind of set the stage for determining people's living standards livelihoods uh, liberties and uh, their lifestyles uh, for all the rest of the people who live outside the boundaries of the capital. To me, that's probably a big reason why outsiders like Ted Cruz and, and uh, Donald Trump are doing so well in the elections this year. Yeah, and you know, Donald Trump is one of the most outspoken uh, in my analysis of the four Republican candidates that all of them, well, three, the three, uh, not counting Kasich, the other three, Trump, Cruz, and Rubio, all believe that climate change is not a man-made crisis. Kasich dials it down a little, and he says it's a problem, but he's not going to um, restrict fossil fuels because he understands the importance of low-priced energy uh, to the economy and the American system. But Trump is really the most outspoken. Um, well, of course, he's the most outspoken on pretty much everything. But uh, when it comes to climate change, he he totally dismisses this as a, as a crisis. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of the reason uh, Cruz and Rubio haven't spoken about it as much is it's hard for them sometimes to get a word in edgewise during these supposed debates that we've been having. Well, of course, they never but... even bring this topic up in the debates. Right, and when it did come up in one of the debates, the moderator cut it off with it before Cruz had a chance to say a single thing about it. But we do know that Hillary and Bernie view climate change as man-made and a catastrophe just looming months or a few years ahead of us, and that we have to redirect all our efforts to try to stop this climate change. So, you know, 
Yes, and their energy policies are totally based on that paradigm. Absolutely. That human emissions of carbon dioxide and a few other greenhouse gases are the cause of all the climate change that might occur in the future, ignoring all the climate changes that occurred in the past, recent and geological and historical climate changes that clearly were not due to human emissions. What happened? Where did those all come from? But that's a topic for another day. As you said, the point is they use that claim to justify all these crazy energy policies, which will absolutely have the effect of putting millions more people out of work and really dramatically dropping our living standards, changing our lifestyles, changing the way America operates. And I'd like to see them put that starkly on the ballot. Uh, Maybe we need to put that starkly on the ballot because that is what we're really talking about here. Yes, and as you know, um, many states now, now that the actual cost of policies that were put into place a decade ago, those policies that were put in place had, you know, but we're going to do this by 2010, we're going to do this by 2015, and we're going to do this by 2020. Well, those kind of policies, the, the actual cost of them is now being felt. And as a result of that, uh, many states are now revising their policies that were so generous to renewables uh, due to the high cost. Absolutely. Uh, and on the other hand, you have states like California and New York who are trying to force those policies to be implemented on a national scale so that they can compete with their 15 to 20, 20 cent per kilowatt hour electricity versus six and a half, seven or eight cents an hour in states that rely on coal and natural gas. Uh, they don't want to get rid of their renewables. They want to force everybody else to have more renewable so that nobody is uh, competitive against them. Uh, well, and you brought up a good point there because because California and New York have done these policies, these extreme policies, it's made them uncompetitive. And so now they do want to put this on the rest of the country, which brings us back to the presidential election again. Um, and that's what we're really talking about today is that they, the Democrats want to impose this on the entire country, which will, will spread the pain. We've only got about a minute left, Paul. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. The the canard level that the Republicans was always, well, the Republicans want to tell you what you can do in your bedroom and what you can't do. Well, the Democrats don't <laughs> care about what you do in the bedroom. They just want to control everything you do outside the bedroom. <laughs> and, I like uh, that analogy. Yeah, and but it's absolutely true. And when you look at fracking again, that's the reason our gasoline prices are down. That's the reason our natural gas heating costs totally. are way down. And they want to take that away from us? They want to take those jobs away? What's going yeah. on here? What crazy, what crazy Americans left, will vote for these people? Well, I hope so. If you and I keep talking about it, hopefully people uh, will not vote for that. Real quick, where can people find your work again? A couple different places, www.cfactcfact.org and townhall.com. I'm scattered all over the Internet on numerous other sites, so just Google my name and you'll find thousands of articles. Yeah, and you've helped me get my work out there and my stuff's all over the place as well, thanks to you in large part. So I appreciate you joining us today. Paul Dreesen will be right back on America's Voice for Energy. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We're, we're in our last segment of the day, and I'm excited to have with us someone whose work helps me write my column, help me with some of the research and kind of idea development, and that is Dr. Michael McDonald, and he is an advisor with Mornings Investments and a professor of finance and a consultant to companies regarding tra- capital structure decisions and investments. So you're, you're my new guest to my show today, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us on America's Voice for Energy. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you. So your piece, you wrote a column uh, in oilprice.com, and I was not familiar with your work before that. Do you write for oilprice.com regularly? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, I write regularly for them, and I think my work gets syndicated across the web. You know, I've been on Time.com, U.S. News of Bald Report, Yahoo, Business Insider, a variety of other publications. Well, you're way more impressive than I am, besides the, besides the fact that you have a doctor with your name. But my stuff is in, like, Breitbart.com and Town Hall and Red State and newspapers. But, I, but you've got much more impressive names uh, that has published your work. So your column is titled, Who Would Be the Best Pre- Presidential Candidate for Energy Companies? And I assume, because this is an oilprice.com, you're kind of looking at this from an investment perspective. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's that's kind of my bread and butter. Is I look at this from a financial perspective, uh, a business perspective. What are the candidates saying about energy companies broadly, in particular oil companies, but you know also renewable energy companies, and, and do those policies make economic sense? Candidates say things all the time. That doesn't necessarily mean that their views hold any water when it comes to um, no. Say, say it isn't so. No, absolutely. Yeah. Believe it or not, and our candidates are not always uh, informed or honest with the voting public. Yeah, so, you know, 
you you looked at um, the various candidate statements, as you said, and looked at what at their energy policies. And I assume, as I did when I wrote my column this week, that you discovered that there was a big difference between the parties. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's uh, without a doubt. The uh, Democrats and Republicans are far apart on most issues related to energy, whether we're talking about renewable energy or conventional fuels. So what what what's your conclusion here? I mean, I'm, I don't I don't need to have you conclude because we've got you know eleven minutes till we go. But you know, what did you observe? Well, certainly. So the Republican Party in general is much more. Uh, pragmatic as it relates to the energy industry. Uh, in particular, they're much more willing to kind of uh, see current energy policies continue and continue to use conventional fuels in the way they've been used for decades in this country, and they're much more accommodative to traditional energy companies in general, whether we're talking about oil companies, natural gas companies, utilities, etc. The Democrats, on the other hand, are much more interested in kind of the renewable side of things, which is great, but it's an unproven set of energy policies and an unproven set of energy sources. And so while it's forward-looking and they're definitely helpful to renewable energy, it's maybe not necessarily quite as much of a sure thing in terms of national energy policy. It's perhaps a little bit riskier, if you know. Yeah, as I, from my view, it's definitely a, a little bit more risky, and uh, as you said, it's it's unproven. Although they would tell you differently, they would tell you, "Oh no, this is we're gonna we're going to uh, replace oil." And in fact, I mentioned with uh, my second guest on the show, who's the one um, who worked on Romney's energy policy, I mentioned to him a tweet that someone sent me today, someone who disagrees with my viewpoints. And his comment was, wind and solar are replacing oil by leaps and bounds. And I didn't want to get into a Twitter argument with this guy, so I didn't respond. But I'm very tempted to say, can you give me an example of how wind and solar is replacing oil because they provide totally different kinds of energy? What would you say to someone like that? Well, yeah, I would say you hit the nail on the head there. In other words, you can make an argument about renewable power sources potentially replacing oil, but the relevant factor there would be uh, battery technologies like, say, what Tesla is doing or some of the startups in that space like force and energy. But that's not really the same thing as uh, – wind or solar power at all, and so and it's for all, for all the excitement about Tesla, and I think Tesla's a great company, they're doing exciting things, but they have a, a very, very, very tiny fraction of the overall automotive industry. I mean, the idea that electric cars are going to become the norm on the roads anytime soon is just ludicrous. I mean, Tesla, as an example... Uh, had roughly 55,000 cars produced last year. Well, we're talking about a market that is in the millions of car sales, so it's simply not a realistic viewpoint. Now, if you talk about more conventional power sources, in particular uh, natural gas and coal, that are used to fire uh, various standing electricity 
generating plants. You might be able to say that wind or solar is a replacement for those. But the problem there is that wind and solar are still only a fraction of the overall energy use in this country, and it's not really clear if they can wholesale replace even coal and natural gas anytime soon, let alone oil. Yeah, I mean, because of the, the battery technology is not there. Now, Hillary, well, let me back up for a sec before I go to Hillary. Um, you're an investment advisor, correct? Yes. So would you advise your clients to invest in Tesla? Well, so uh, I look, I'm mostly an advisor to high net worth and institutional investors, and I would tell them that as part of a broader portfolio, you could certainly put money into Tesla. I would never be telling anybody to put all of their money into Tesla any more than I'd be telling them to put all their money into any other company. You're right, really right. having a diversified portfolio and kind of spreading out your egg. Making Tesla is going to be the way in the future. Maybe they're not. It's very hard to say. Yeah. I just was curious because I think especially uh, if we have a Republican president, you know, Tesla, a lot of Tesla's uh, profit, as I'm sure you're well aware, and I'd love for you to add to this, uh, but is is not really in the cars, or Tesla's supposed profit is not really in the cars. It's in the emissions certificate trading, which I think is something that the average person doesn't even realize goes on. Yeah, so that's certainly true. The other thing, Tesla's business is kind of evolving over time. So they have the new Powerwall batteries, which are for uh, residential use. They're also talking about grid-scale batteries, which would be independent. Whether you use coal fire power plants, as an example, or solar power plants, grid-scale batteries still make sense in that they avoid some of the issues with needing peaker power plants. Right, right. They kind of come online as energy use is peaking. So Tesla's got sort of a diverse line of businesses, and then, of course, they're diverse geographically as well. So they operate not only in the U.S., but around the world. And I don't think that Tesla's success is necessarily uh, tied to any specific party. If you were, they certainly fare a little bit better if you had policies that were advocating for electric vehicles. In the U.S., they'd fare worse in policies that did not advocate for those vehicles. So you're absolutely right on that point. I would just be cautious about trying to say that Tesla is going to disappear or anything of the sort if we get a Republican president. Yeah, I would agree. I wouldn't say that they're going to disappear, but their their uh, prominence or their development is definitely going to be helped by, for example, a Hillary Clinton. I think that's uh, true without question, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we haven't talked about the uh, Republicans. Or do you want to add anything else that we haven't addressed with the Democrats? Hillary obviously wants to put a lot of solar panels. Bernie Sanders is anti-nuclear. you want to address anything else there? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, I guess that the, the Democratic side, and, you know, they, their race is still up in the air, although it looks like Hillary's going to win uh, on the, you know, the nomination there. At least right, her right. Friends, the... The Democratic side, they're very, very much uh, kind of kowtowing to the environmentalist wing of that party, so even more so than the current administration. For instance, Hillary was out uh, kind of condemning the Trans-Canada pipeline even before Obama ended up having that uh, pipeline turned down or rejected uh, the proposal for that pipeline. So mm-hmm. I would say that to the extent people think that Obama is bad for energy, you could very well see either Hillary or Sanders being quite a bit worse. Only time to tell, of course. 
Yeah, but certainly based on the policies that they've talked about, uh, they, they, they would be that direction. My gosh, the time is going by. We only got about three minutes left, so let's let's jump to the Republican side. Sure. What do you where where do you see with uh, the the four Republican candidates we've got left? Yeah, so that's very interesting. On the one hand, I guess that uh, Cruz and Kasich are both the two that are very interesting in that they're from oil producing states. Florida doesn't really have a lot of oil and. Obviously, New York City is really an oil right. area, but uh, shale oil in Ohio is starting to become something of an issue, and Ohio's got, in particular, an enormous amount of natural gas. Yeah. Kasich, having been governor of Ohio for a long time, is well aware of all these issues and well aware of the power that uh, new development in shale can bring to the economy, and so he's very interesting on that point. I'm not necessarily assured that Cruz... It, although he's from Texas, it, he's not shown any particular support for oil above and beyond, which you expect for a Republican president. So it's not, you know, he's a lawyer. It's not clear like he's a lifelong oil guy or anything of the sort. I think that all of the, you know, Cruz, Kasich, Trump, and Rubio would all be great for the conventional oil industry. Kasich is probably the, would be the biggest surprise of well, Kasich is more fa- more favorable to renewable energy than any of the other three uh, Republican candidates. Uh, yes, that's true. But I also think that just uh, I've got to believe, given the support that Shale has found in Ohio, that he'd be pretty supportive of new technology in general, whether they're renewable or the shale oil and gas industry. And when you look at the economic impact, that shale, oil, and gas have had this country in the last decade, which is huge. I mean, it's one of the reasons the country has done as well economically, whether that's, you know, well or not, but it's one of the reasons we've done as well as we have compared to other countries since 2008. Yeah, we'd, we'd surely be in much worse shape since 2008 without that. Uh, we're about out of time, so you're in, you're, you're, uh, you write a weekly column or how frequent? Uh, yeah, a weekly so. column. A weekly column. Okay. And, and are you addressing energy generally or different topics? No, I usually address energy. Like I said, I'm not necessarily uh, focused on the political ramifications for energy every week, but I do write about energy and uh, business and economics every single week. Great. Well, I hope our listeners will check you out. I found you on oilprice.com, and uh, we're talking to Dr. Michael McDonald. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And listeners, hope you'll join us again next week here on AmericasWebRadio.com.